Thank you for your excellent singing. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Mrs. Miller mentioned that Thanksgiving was always a time that they gathered as a family. And, uh, and I know they always enjoyed it. What that meant was every Thanksgiving was my opportunity to preach. Because pastor was gone and so after Thanksgiving. I, and I always look forward to that, not pastor being gone, but the opportunity to preach. And I think it's when God began to build a desire in my heart uh, to pastor. But... Uh, Today I want to finish up our series that we've been doing, and next Sunday I will preach a Thanksgiving message, but Acts chapter 2 is where we want to be. God created man for the purpose of glorifying him. That is why God put Adam and Eve in the garden was to bring him glory. Everything that we see God do since then is to bring glory to himself. Sin disrupted his original plan, and now God has left us on earth as believers, as his ambassadors to represent him and to share the gospel with the unsaved. But even in that plan, our ultimate objective is to glorify God. That's why in Revelation we come to the end of time. It tells us this, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. All things were created by God. So therefore, our, de- our desire and our goal and our, and our purpose is to glorify Him. In this last year, we have focused the entire year on serve. We have, um, as a church, we have four distinct things that we uh, feel are our purpose. You see them over on the banners over on the side. And in this last year, we've focused on the third one, which is to serve others. And what we've done by that, we started the beginning of the year looking at our responsibility of serve one another, and we, we studied the, the serve one another passages of Scripture then we studied what it means to serve the church, and then we talked about uh, the directive to serve the world. After we looked at those three areas, we then spent a number of time looking at the example of a servant in the life of Peter. Remember that series that we went through and looked at, although Peter was greatly flawed, and Peter was, uh, had issues and problems, yet God used him in a great way to expand the message of the gospel. Following the study of Peter, we have spent the last couple months looking at all the gifts that God has given to us. God has given us many things. God has given us the opportunity for salvation. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us hope. He's given us prayer. And last week we looked at peace. The reason I went through those as an extension is because I believe that as God gives us, then we respond to Him. And how do we respond to Him? We respond to Him through service and serving Him because of gratitude and devotion. And ultimately because we desire to continue to glorify His name. So this brings us to the, the last gift of the Father that I want to give you. Now, I don't say this is... Uh, the most important, but I think this is uh, one that God give, gave to us specifically, and that is the gift of the church. God gave you the church. Do you realize that we are not just a, a mistake of or a, a, a happenstance of people that have assembled together? Do you realize that we, God divinely appointed all of you to be here to strengthen each other? 
God has not put this church together by accident. God has put this church together to help each individual in here to become the better version of what God wants you to be. And I say this many times to individuals when I begin talking to them and, and they, they for some reason or other have, have wandered from our church and they begin to say, well, this reason why and this reason why. And I look at them and I oftentimes will say this, you do not understand the impact that you are having by not being present at the church. Not on you, but on those around you. God has given us this incredible gift of the church because He loves us and He knows exactly what we need and He knows that we need the church. And unlike these other gifts, all of you would admit to the fact that you need forgiveness. All of you admit to the fact that you need prayer. You would admit that you need peace. You would admit that you need hope. But many times, people think, I don't need the church. It's, it's something nice, but it's not something necessary. And it's a false assumption that they can glorify God and they can grow and they be, can become what God wants them to be without having the church. And that's not what Scripture tells us. God gave us the church, but why did He give us the church? What purpose does the church serve in our lives? And I'll read to you a passage that uh, we've looked at before in this study uh, way back um, numerous times, but I want to look at, again. Look at Acts chapter 2. And let's look at verse, uh, we'll start in verse 42. It says in verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were, gathered, were, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll help us as we study this passage, but more specifically as we begin to look at the reason you gave us the church, the reason we're assembled here today. Lord, I pray that you'll help each person here to, to have the complete conviction that they're here not just because they need to check another item off their to-do list, but they're here because you felt and you knew because of your, your ever uh, knowledge that we needed this. We needed these, this assembly to help us to be exactly what you want us to be. God, give us wisdom. Give me clarity of thought. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The outline today that we're going to look at is similar to our church's purpose statement, those four um, I, I've kind of changed it a little bit, so we actually have five things we'll be looking at today. Um, and I have actually preached this from this passage um, numerous times since I became uh, pastor, but I want to look at it again, I want to look at it kind of in a different way. The other times that we've looked at this passage, it's been more at a directive to the church of what a church should be doing, which it is. But today I want to look at it for the purpose of why did the God give the church to you? Why did God want you to be a part of a church? And I believe if you're here today specifically, this church. 
Five things we want to look at. The first one is, is because God desires for us to reach the lost. And in uh, Acts chapter 2, and actually we're going to go to the very last verse in verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day who, those who were being saved. If you look in verse 41, it says a similar thing in verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. One of the clear things that we can see from this verse is that God intended for those who were a new believer in Christ, who had a faith in Christ, that they were going to be a part of the church. In both instances, it says, uh, in 41, it's when they, when they heard the word and they believed the word, they were added to the church. And in, in the verse 47, it says in that passage that day by day the number was being added to the church. Who? Those who were being saved. The desire God has for us, first of all, is as a church, is that we are to be taking the gospel, the good news about the free gift of salvation, and we're to be taking it to the world. And that's a task God takes very seriously. In fact, we know that because what was Jesus' last directive to his disciples as he was getting ready to leave? What did he say to them? He said, Go into all the nations and what? Make disciples, make followers of Christ. When you look at the result of that command, when you look throughout the rest of the New Testament, the result of the command to go and make disciples, you will always see there's a connection from the gospel proclamation closely associated with the church. There's not a distinction between those two. Multiple times it'll say they got saved, they got baptized, they were added to the church. We see that in Paul's epistles as well, and we see over and over that idea. And, and we see this word in verse 47 when it says that they were being added to the church, and that word added there means the idea of a continual adding of community of believers to something that is the known church. So who was added to the church? What does it say in that passage? If you look again in verse 47, who was being added is those who had been saved. What made this church unique And we're talking about this church in Acts. What made this church unique was it was different than anything around it. And the discriminating feature of these members was that they all recognized the crucified, risen Son of God. That's what made them different. And that confession of of Jesus Christ as being the crucified, then risen Son of God uh, was, was what changed the course of history. But you know what? It would have been of no importance except for the fact that they came and they formed together because God told them to. And it spread over the Roman Empire. And during that time, there was, there was uh, people being saved all over the Roman Empire because of what happened here. And it received its value through the power of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit as they traveled around. And, they, uh, and it was, began with the apostles and it was carried on through the hearers and, and so on. God brought this confession of, of the Jesus Christ and, and He used that and He created within that an active fellowship. And that active fellowship that, that they, because of that active fellowship, they begin to change, not only externally, but internally they begin to change and they begin regarding themselves as a family. And the first churches were born. 
God gave us this church as, a, as an avenue to grow, but we'll, and we'll get to that in a moment, God, but God gave us this church as an avenue to bring others to a saving knowledge of the Savior. But I want to I clarify before we go any further, attendance in church does not guarantee salvation. Attendance in church does not mean that you are on your way to heaven. God commands us as a church to go and reach the lost, but it may start with you. Have you believed in the Son of God? This passage shows us the ex- uh, exclusivity of the church. There is a very narrow focus here of the church that it's saying in every passage, it's saying those who are saved, those who believe the Word. And there are here, I believe today, there are people in this congregation who have probably never come to a point that they believed in Christ. How do we know that? The Bible tells us that when unbelievers stand before God at the judgment, that some will give an account of all they have done. And and God's response to to them will be, I never knew you. Maybe that's you here today. I heard a quote by Billy Graham once that said, and someone asked him, they said, "Are uh, um, are only Baptists in heaven? And Billy Graham said this, my fear is that many Baptists won't be in heaven either. The idea is that from that is the, the church is here, but that does not mean that you are uh, automatically a, a believer. And the Bible tells us that, that those who are added to the church are those who are saved. And that's my first question for you today. Do you believe in the Son of God? Has He changed you? And the church is here then from that point as a assembled group of believers, as a group of believers that God has brought here that understand who He is. Now, God has given us the task of reminding the world of a few things. Reminding them of their lost condition. Reminding them of the judgment that's on the way. Reminding them of their hope of salvation. We have been given that task. I think too often we don't take that task as seriously as we should. Second thing I want to look at, we see in this passage is not only are we here to reach the lost as a church, we're also here to help one another. If you will, look in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in Acts chapter two, and let's look at verse forty-four. It says there, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The Bible tells us here that they were raising funds for charity for all men. They sold their possessions, their goods. Some sold land and houses. Others, others sold their, their stocks and their bonds. And, and, and yet others sold furniture and, and, and things that they needed. And, and yet others gave up of just their, 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 the food that they had. And they were done doing this. And, and it was to show love to others. And it wasn't done to destroy themselves. It wasn't done to uh, make their stuff of no good. What they were doing is actually they were destroying selfishness in their lives. They had a desire to do what God had said. Remember, remember the story when Jesus was on earth and, and the, the ruler, the rich young ruler, as we referred to him, came to him and said, you know, I, what do I need to do to inherit a king? eternal life. And Jesus said, what do you think? And he said, keep all the commandments. And I've done all that. And Jesus said this, what? What did he say? Sell everything that you have and give to the poor. And the rich young ruler, it says, walked away discouraged. 
I believe that these uh, believers were so invested in each other that, that they were willing to do that, sell all that they have and give to the poor. And I don't believe that this was intended as an example of a constant binding rule, as if it was something that had to be done for all Christians at all times. I don't believe it's saying here that we're, we're bound to sell everything. I don't believe it's saying we have to give up all the money to charity. In fact, we see that that's not the case because Paul later on teaches there is a distinction between the rich and the poor. We see that. And we also see that Paul says that, that the, the rich or the rulers were supposed to be kind to those that were not as fortunate. But the case here is an amazing one. Why is it so incredible? Because they were under no obligation. They were under no divine command to do what they were doing. But they were doing this because of their love for each other. In fact, we know they were under no command because if you will, look at this passage. You can turn it over if you want. In Acts chapter 5, it says there, uh, while it remained unsold, did not it remain your own? Let me give you the background of this story. This is Ananias and Sapphira. And it, you, many of us, you know Ananias and Sapphira as what? These were the two individuals that God struck, struck dead because they lied. But what was it they lied about? Here it was that the people were now, they were coming and they were giving and they were giving and they were giving. And, and so Peter's there and, and Ananias and Sapphira come and they say, hey, we sold a piece of property and we're giving it all to the church. And they lied. They'd kept back a part. And so Peter says to them, was it not your own? Did anyone force you to do this? Of course, the answer to that is no. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You said, that's fine, you sold the property, but, but did anyone make you give? No. What do I, what's the reason I showed you this? Because I believe that uh, you know, this passage in Acts is not a command. I believe it's just an, a display of how much they truly cared for each other. It was a commendable instance of their difference uh, above the world. They were so radically different than the world and they, were, they, they had a contempt for the way of the world and, and they had an insurance of another world. And so it wasn't that they were building their treasures of today. They, were, they, they didn't care about that. They were giving in their compassion to the poor and their zeal to grow. You know, the apostles were their teachers. Remember the apostles, they left everything to follow Christ. And so I believe this first church, this early church here, was just following the example brought on to them by the apostles. What about us today? Our rule is to give according to as God has blessed us. To give more than we think we're capable there will always be those that have and those that don't have. But God gave us the responsibility as a church to help those who are desperate. We as a church must care for one another, and that's, that's the beauty of a church. Because of the fellowship that this early church had with each other, when someone had a need, they stepped up immediately and met that need. Their monetary gifts, as we study Scripture, uh, were used in great ways. We see that they were used to, to help with the widows. They were used to help with the fatherless. They were also used to help uh, meet the needs of the apostles and later the pastors. And, but yet, um, they were still used even in, as we go later on in needs of the church itself. Their ministry of giving here was not one of, I'll pay for my needs and then I'll buy all the things I want and then i got a little extra loose change over here. That's what I'll throw to the church. 
That wasn't their mindset. Their mindset was this, I'm willing to give up of everything to help those in need. It was a love. This was not, as I've said before, a a welfare system. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul teaches against that. In 2 Thessalonians he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If everyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It wasn't a command of, you know, they don't have to work. He, he, we understand that. But what I see here is just such a love and such a compassion for each other that they were willing to help one another. And I believe God's given us the same command. I've seen this in our church through the gifts of one individual to another, and I've talked to people who have said that, and you know, the person helped out in a time of need. I've seen this in our, I, I have the privilege of sitting in deacons meetings when they, when they give money to people in the church or people outside the church who are struggling through the deacon fund. And it's, it's a great opportunity, but we should be helping others. And maybe this is a financial thing, but I think it goes beyond that. It could be more than that. It could be giving up of our, our, of our self, our time, our efforts, and finding time to help people in the church. And maybe you say, hey, I can't necessarily give a huge financial gift to someone. I can't help someone out in time of need when, uh, when they need something, but I, I sure could go over there and help them rake their yard, or I could go over there and, and spend some time with them. But the idea of a church is that we come together and we see other people's needs and we find ways to fill it. And so often, though, we, we look and say, well, how are people meeting my needs? That, that's not what I see with this church. We're finding ways to meet the needs of others. We're to reach the lost, we're to help one another, and also we're, into, we're, we're to include one another. Notice, if you will, a couple different verses I want to look at. In Acts chapter 2, let's look at verse uh, 42. It says there, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. We'll get to that in a minute. Look at verse uh, 45 and 46. We read verse 45. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 42 uses the word fellowship. And fellowship is, you know, as I've said this before, we think of fellowship, we immediately think that we're going to have a potluck, don't we? Or we're going over someone's house, uh, and they're going to have food. And that's, that's not the idea, because fellowship, as we see it in this verse, uh, is, is a spiritual duty of believers to stimulate each other to holiness and faithfulness. It was most specifically expressed through uh, the one another passages that we talked about in the New Testament. That we are supposed to love one another. We're supposed to stir up one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to even at times rebuke one another. And the idea is it's a, it's, it's a process where we help one another grow. And that is fellowship. The basic meaning of this word fellowship is partnership or sharing. Those who received Jesus Christ became partners with Him and with other believers. That fellowship is permanent. Because our shared eternal life is forever. Many times though that joy of that fellowship fades. And I believe when that joy of the fellowship fades that oftentimes it's through sinful neglect of our duties. Because fellowship requires that we ask not what's best for us but what's best for each other. 
And many times I believe that Christians today, we live in a, t- a time when it's, you know, it's what's good for me. I mean, I, I, can, I can drive out here and go and find any ty- type of food I want within about 10 minutes because it's what I want. You know, I can go to uh, a, I won't do this unless I'm getting it from my wife, but I can go to a coffee shop and I can get a coffee in almost any creation I want it to be. And sometimes we think when we walk in those doors and we walk into these pews, suddenly church is the same way. And it's about me. But that's not what fellowship is. Fellowship is, as I serve others, I find ways to, to build them up through the faith. And there may be a program or a ministry that you don't particularly find beneficial for you. But as a mature Christian, you, at, you don't ask, what's in it for me? Instead, you say, how is this going to benefit others? And rather than criticize, you pray and support and love. I'm amazed when someone comes and says to me that the church is not meeting their needs of personal fellowship. And I've got to be honest with you, most times when I hear this, it's because it's stated by individuals who lack consistency to church. I want to give you a personal example. I have people that will come and say, I, I don't feel included in church. They don't attend Sunday nights. They don't attend growth groups. And I understand not everyone is able to attend every service we have. I get that. If you're here and you're not able to, don't think that I am uh, talking to you. But I have known personally in my own life, especially over the last number of months, that in our growth group, for example, I have, I have, it's impacted me in a great way. If you're not familiar in our growth groups, what we do is we talk about what I preach. So what's interesting is I've already preached it. And I know it better than anyone else that's there because I've spent hours studying it and preaching it. But still, as I hear other people talk back and say, this is what I got from it, you know what? It, it, it encourages me and strengthens me and I've grown through it. That's Christian fellowship. And there doesn't have to be a, a lick of food there and it can be, we can be fellowshipping in Christ. As part of the body, you put the needs of others ahead of yourself. And I'm sure we do things here at the church that you may not like. I get that. There are things at the church here that I may not like. And some of you may not prefer the topics in Sunday school that we teach or the the way we spend our money. Or you might not even like the, the music that we sing. Or you might not like even the staff. But you need to understand you need to understand that God has placed you here. And if it's, you need to understand the difference between a big issue and, and a little issue. We never compromise about it, big issues. And if it's a big issue is reason why, then, then by all means, come and talk to me. But if it's a little issue, then oftentimes what we need to do is we need to bend over backwards to keep peace and unity in the church. And that is how we help and include one another. Philippians says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not on his, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
We are to be so desirous to, to love and include and fellowship with one another that we will say, I'm going to put aside that. Notice with you will how Acts describes this fellowship in verse 44. I like what it says there. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And uh, many uh, Bible scholars have said that this is in reference to verse 45 where it says they sold everything they had and so it was kind of a, uh, a communistic thinking. And, and, and maybe that's part of it that they did that, but uh, I think that also what's included in that, as I read in a few commentaries, it, it's also the idea of this, that as they walked into the church, though they were different, yet they related to each other because of their one commonality. And what is that? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they may not have thought differently. And, and <laughs> you know what? If you think back, what's amazing about this just happened right before this is when Peter got up and preached. And you remember that story where he preached and, and all these people got saved. And, and the Bible tells us what was the amazing event about that, not just those salvations, but that Peter preached and people heard them no matter what language he was speaking in. And so obviously these people came together and many of them didn't even speak the same language. And yet they had a commonality. And they had all things in common. Verse uh, 46, if you look there in Acts chapter 2, what does it say there? It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their home. Notice that the time they got together was not once a week. And we live in a very busy society and I understand we're not all able to be here every time. I, I, I get that. In fact, if you take notice, it was not just about the church service. You look at 46, it says, day by day, attending the temple together. They came together and they were in the temple, but then notice what goes on. It says, and breaking bread in homes. It wasn't just about that. There was more to it than that. There was more than just that. It was not just about church time. They just loved being together. They, they worshipped together. They served together. They ate together. And this was a constant part of their lives. Why? Because God knew it's what we needed. We are relational people. And I know for me personally, my wife and I have talked about this many times. Sometimes as a pastor, I need to uh, get away because I, I need some time, just my family. But you know what? Every time that we do that, we just can't wait to get back to church. Because we miss you. Because you're our family and it's, it's a part of who we are and it's important because this command here is not just to do more fellowship dinners. It's a, it's a command that says that because of our salvation and our connection to the church, our lives should be so intertwined that we can't help but be together. Now, because of the size of our church, it doesn't mean that everyone's the same. I mean, you might be you know, sitting in the balcony and you might not even know someone sitting over here. It happens. There's people in this church that you feel intertwined with. Again, you may say, I don't have things in common with people in the church. Our common ground is our Savior. Not our outside interests. The Bible tells us that we're to come together. That's why they were together so much. But it's not just coming together. It's the purpose of next, number four, is to grow together. In verse 42, look there, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowships and breaking of bread and prayers. 
This function of growth of the church was a key feature of the church. God gave us the church for our growth. This does not mean that if you come and you sit in these chairs every week that you're going to automatically grow. But if you invest yourself in the life of a church, if you invest yourself in the people of the church, and at the same time you personally invest yourself in the Word of God, you will find opportunities to grow all over the place. This is about learning the Word of God. This is about studying doctrine, Scripture memory, uh, how to share your faith, how to study the Bible, the basics of Christianity, so you're not just simply content to be a baby Christian. There's growth that happens. It's about growing in Christ and becoming more like Him. And sometimes in that, there's hard things that come our way. And many people will pray, Jesus, I want to be more like You. And when we pray, Jesus, I want to be more like You, we need to be ready for what difficult situations He sends our way because difficult situations often are what we need to become more like Christ. And the amazing thing about a church is that's when we gather around and we lift each other up. And we oftentimes, we will... Uh, when God starts exercising me and preparing me to make a difference through trials, we begin asking God, what are you doing to me? And to expect God uh, to uh, change us and to be used by God without facing trials is, is unthinkable. It'd be like this. Many of you know I love sports. You know, and this year I had an opportunity to coach uh, my son's soccer team and uh, it'd be like one of the players come to me the very first day of preseason and saying to me, Coach, I'm, I'm excited about this year. I can't wait till the championship game, the last day of the year. And so I, I, but I don't want to do any of the work to get to that point. So just put me over at the end of the bench, and when the championship game comes along, put me in and I'm ready to go. I don't think that any coach would agree to that. But a lot of times we think, God, I, I want the glamour. God, give me the, give me the growth, and I, but I don't want any of the practice in the middle. And sometimes God brings us practice through trials to cause us to grow. Many Christians are content to stay as spiritual infants. And the Bible tells us we need to grow, and how do we grow together? Notice what the areas. First of all, look at verse 42 again. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. The thing is, is that these converts were so given to the church and all that was included that they were willing to give up their own opinions. Notice it says there they were devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. They would listen for hours to the teaching of someone else. Man, we live today in a time when no one listens to what someone else says. I am the one that knows best. And that is not to say the opinions of your pastor is doctrine. Let me make that clear. But the opinion of the Word is. When, when you have the Word shared with you and you re rebuttal back, I know better, there's a problem. And the, 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 the church here where they were growing together because they were so excited about diving into Scripture 
and learning what Scripture had for them. But then also says their fellowship, and we talked about that word, but as I said, this, uh, this is not just a, a thing where we talk. They were so concerned with other, one another, so they sympathized with one another, and they cared for one another's interests so much that they also were willing to fellowship with one another in spiritual worship. They met in the temple. And their, their constant rendezvous, as you say, was a, was a time that was a joint fellowship with God. And that's the best fellowship that we can have with one another. Whether it's here on Sunday morning, or tonight as we gather, or uh, during growth groups, or even individually as you meet each other at a restaurant, or uh, at a ball game, or at, on the golf course, or in a store, that your time together is sweet fellowship of exalting God together. Of how God, good God is. <laughs> I guess it should also relate to, to the 21st century. Maybe your, your association with someone is on Facebook. Does it glorify God? Does it exalt who He is? The third thing it mentions there, it says the breaking of bread. They frequently join together in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And in celebrating that memorial, uh, they, were, they, they, were, they were worshiping and relating together. They were so dependent upon Christ and His crucifixion that they could not help but continue to dwell on it time and time again. And they would never forget the death of Christ so much that they kept up the memorial of it. And they made it a constant practice and an institution that they need to come back to, to consistently as a part of the church. It says also they devoted themselves to prayers in verse 42. I've had people before tell me that prayer is private. And so much so that they don't like to pray with other people. I understand that fear. But over and over again we see in Scripture to the contrary that prayer was a corporate act of growing together. And here, how is it that they were growing together? Because they, they prayed together. And you know, I, I love sitting around and praying with God's people and hearing the heart of people. I've grown so much just by listening to other people pray. And God's desire is for us to do that. Prayer is and should be constant in our lives. We should never cease from prayer. The Bible says that to us over and over again. And not just individually because that should be part of your life, but it should also be something we do corporately. Maybe uh, where that's why we pray together, but not only that, we gather in small groups and we pray, whether it's uh, on, a, on a Wednesday night or whether it's in some of our prayer times that we have. And reminder, Tuesday, 9 o'clock, we'll be having a prayer time here. But coming together and praying, praying, the church is given to, to us to help us to grow because we gather together, but we must engage in it. And then finally, the church is here to exalt the Lord. If you look in Acts, again, chapter 2, look at a couple phrases and look at verse uh, 46. At the very beginning of verse 46, it says, day by day attending the temple together. That was their act of worship. And then verse 47, as they were also gathering together, it was in verse 46, not only in the temple, but as they gathered in home to home uh, and shared food and, and fellowship and, and time together, what did they also do? They praised God. We were to exalt the Lord by worshiping the Lord. 
There's been times and places in the history where God's church has forgotten why we gather and we've forgotten the purpose of glorifying Him. I heard an interesting story a number of years ago. Um, a guy by the name of Thomas Beecher was, was um, asked to preach at a church and the church he was asked to preach at was the Plymouth Church in Brooklyn, New York. The pastor of that church was his brother, Henry Ward Beecher. Henry Ward Beecher at that time was well known as a renowned preacher and, and, there, and because of that, people would come from all over to hear him preach. And that particular day, Thomas, his brother, got up and, and, uh, to preach and as soon as people realized that, that the more famous brother wasn't preaching, many people started getting up and walking out. Thomas uh, Beecher stopped the service and he says, all of those of you who came to worship Henry Ward Beecher may remove yourself immediately, but if you came to worship God, you may stay. We are not here to worship men. Godly leaders can be helpful, but only the Savior is worthy of our worship. And, And so when we gather here this morning, Uh, it's not about myself, it's not about Pastor Nate, it's not about you, it's about exalting a God who gave us all these gifts that we've talked about over the last number of weeks. It's about exalting a God who gave me forgiveness that I do not deserve. It's about a God who has given me a hope for an eternity that is far better than anything here on earth. It's about a God who has given us peace in the midst of these horrible circumstances that you may be experiencing in life, that you can still have a peace of God. It's about a God who's given me the ability to pray and He says I can go boldly to Him. It's about a God who's given me my life and my salvation. It's about a God who's given me a Holy Spirit that lives inside of me and helps me and guides me and comforts me when I'm hurting. That's the God that we're here to worship. God gave us this church as a gift, as a blessing. He knew what we needed. God did not institute the church as a a convenience. He instituted the church as something that He knew that was necessary for us, as an opportunity for salvation. He knew it was something that we needed. So He gave us the church. He also gave us the church to serve Him. And I'll end this service the way that I began speaking way back in January when I asked the question, are you serving God the way He intended you to serve? You have so many blessings if you're here today. If you're a child of God and you're in this room, God has given you so much. And he asks us to then give back to him through service. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us this church. Lord, and we know as we begin studying through the, the, the books that Paul wrote, that even as we go through churches, we see there is conflict in church. We see that many of Paul's books were written to 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 battle the conflict in a church. Sometimes there's dissension, sometimes there's disagreement, sometimes there's just sin. We know those things come into a church, but yet you ordain our church, you ordain specifically this church to glorify your name, to, to promote the gospel, 
to help each other to grow, to serve one another, to serve you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to take advantage of the full purpose of why you gave us this church. We're, we're just like Peter, we're flawed people. We're individuals with sin. We're individuals that have error in our lives. And so because of that, sometimes we don't like the way that the church is. And we don't like the way the church even interacts with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to have grace and patience during those times. Lord, help us to be a people who love one another, even though at times it seems that our commonality is only the gospel. And I pray that you help us to serve you faithfully. We ask that you are glorified. We ask this in your name. Amen.